keep your Bibles, we'll kind of flip through a couple. Um, This is the word of the Lord. This is a gift to us. Um, This is the true words of the living God. And so we read these, um, yeah, just with with joy and an expectation of what these mean to us. So um, I will read these, and at the end, we will all um, say, um, I will say this is the word of God, and we will all say, thanks be to God. So we will start in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count it cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him, um, to meet him who (laughs) comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Next one is Malevin. Verse 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am dull and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In chapter 28, verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you at the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you this morning. Um, thank you for everybody here. And I just pray that as Andrew comes up and, and leads us in, in, um, in your word, um, that we would just be open to hear what you say to us. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, and just and just praise you for everything that you are. Amen. Thanks, Jess. First deacon job done with success. Uh, if you're if you're if you're visiting with us this morning, you're you're kind of getting a little glimpse into like our life as a family. We're we're in the middle of these three weeks of. Of, of looking at our what we're calling family traits, and in particular, we're, we're looking at our vision for this coming year. Our year kind of runs the academic calendar, September to the summer, and, and, and last week, we had just our vision for this year, and, and honestly, I do feel it that'll be a, the next couple of years, is, and, and the vision is this, humbly depend on Jesus together to grow in him and boldly make him known. Tim has made up little cards for us that we'll have next week, and you can take them home, stick them in your wallet, or put them on your fridge or whatever. And we're going to remember this. We're going to remember that we are striving to humbly depend on Jesus together, grow in him and boldly make him known. And, 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 and this vision is based on these three things, prayer, discipleship, and evangelism. Prayer is just simply 
humbly dependent on Jesus, right? That we're coming to him and recognizing that we're in need of him and that he's the only one that can meet us. And that we saw last week that we can't do anything. He says that, like, you can't do anything without me. Um, and that's just part of, of, of our life together. And the other part of life together is, is discipleship, growing in him. That's, that's maturing in Jesus and, and doing this together as part of our gospel-shaped community. And then uh, next Sunday, we'll look at the third part of that, which is evangelism. This is making him known. Uh, this is part of our mission, being on mission together. But in particular, speaking the gospel, evangelism is not just like living as a Christian. It's the part that's saying, I want to tell you the good news, right? Uh, it's the good news of God's grace. So that, that's kind of where we are this morning. Um, we're going to look at discipleship, humbly depending on Jesus together to grow in him, boldly make him known. Don't worry if you forget that. That's okay. And that's why we're printing little cards. Um, but it's not the sentence that's the important thing. The statement isn't the important thing. It's really that we're, we want to belong together and pursue Jesus and share him with others. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let me just pray for us again. Actually, I just want to actually practice what I'm preaching and depend on Jesus for a minute. Uh, and then we'll have a look at discipleship. Uh, Father God, we, we, we just need your help. We recognize that, that we are helpless without you. And when we come to um, open your word and, 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 and think about these things, Lord, we, we need your help to understand. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate these words to our hearts. Um, you are the breath of God that, that carries God's voice to the ears of our hearts. And so we, we pray for you to speak clearly and for us to hear you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so what is discipleship? Maybe that's something you've heard of and don't understand it. Um, maybe it's something you ha have been a part of or, or have, have more of an understanding of. Um, I grew up in a church tradition where I didn't once hear that word, not once. Um, for others, it's something that's drilled into you from your, you know, kid's age. For some, discipleship is a, is a course or a class that you do, right? Maybe you've uh, been part of a discipleship class or something. Uh, there are discipleship books, there are videos online, there are even such things as discipleship schools. And I'm not knocking those things. But what we want to do is, is kind of look briefly at what the Bible says to give us a foundation um, this morning, I just want to introduce the topic of discipleship and, and find out what the Bible says, and hopefully that will give us a starting point for, for moving forward in this part of our vision for the coming year, uh, pursuing Jesus together, humbly depending on him together, growing in him. So why is discipleship important? Well, just briefly, I kind of um, did a little survey, and the word dis disciple is in the New Testament 261 times. That's way more than the word Christian is in there. I don't know if you realize that. Um, Jesus calls disciples himself. And as we've just seen, as Jess read for us, that he goes, he tells his disciples to go and make disciples. One of those disciples, Peter, who you might have heard of, he, when he's writing a letter to a lot of different churches, 2 Peter 3.18 says that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6 verse 1, another letter to churches says, let us move beyond the elementary teaching about Christ and be taken forward into maturity. Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, so clearly the Bible um, Life in Jesus is not a stationary thing. It's not just standing still. There is an upward call on our lives, the call of God in Christ Jesus, that we are meant to be progressing. Life in Jesus is moving forward, and it's growing, and it's maturing. It's growing in grace 
and in knowledge. That's what Peter just said, that we would grow in grace and knowledge. That means that, that we are growing in what we, what we know and what we do. So today is the 10th of September, 2023, right? Is that a second date? Maybe it is, because we um, um, commissioned our deacons. But if you ask me, what are you going to be doing this day a year from now? I literally, I couldn't tell you what I'm doing this day a week from now. Well, I could because I'll be here. But you don't understand, a year from now, no idea. But if you ask me, what will I be doing a billion years from now? I know exactly what I'll be doing. I will be, together with all God's people, enjoying Jesus and exploring the depths of his grace and love. I know that because that's what I created for, to be with God's people, to enjoy Jesus and explore these kind of unmeasurable depths of his love. That's what we will be doing for, for all of eternity because that's what we were created for. And so if we know that that's our destination, why would we not now? This is what discipleship is about. Why not start in Jesus, enjoying Jesus here and now? Why not start growing in grace and in knowledge of him right now. As I, as I was kind of looking at various discipleship materials and all that kind of stuff, there was one thing I, I started to notice that was missing. And that is, that's all about Jesus. See, a lot of discipleship stuff out there tries to tell us how to change our behavior or to do this, to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, but, but, but I think that discipleship is, the heart of discipleship is more than that. Discipleship is about knowing him, enjoying him, laying hold of him more. And very simply, from these passages that we read, that discipleship is leaving all else behind to learn from Jesus and live the gospel. Discipleship is, is leaving everything else in our lives behind to learn from Jesus and to live out the gospel. Uh, Lauren kind of pointed me out, pointed out to me this week, it's a bit like live, laugh, love. <laughs> you know that live, laugh, love thing? Should be everywhere. Um, but today we have learn, learn, sorry, leave, learn, and live, which is not as catchy. I don't think anyone's going to put that on a mug or something. Um, but let us look at this first one. Disciples leave everything behind. Uh, we went on honeymoon. We went, to, we went to Paris on honeymoon, and we arrived pretty late at night. It was dark and everything, and we had to get from a train from the airport to the city, and then we had to get like the, the metro to the stop nearest our hotel. And we didn't really know where we were going, but I was doing that thing that men do, which is uh, uh, not to be sexist, but I think it's a man thing, which is like you kind of pretend where you're going, especially if you're with, you know, we're, we're only newly married, known each other like a couple of years, and I'm still trying to impress her. And I'm like trying to pretend I know where I'm going. Oh, yeah, it's definitely this way. And we were lost. We were clearly lost. I'm like looking at a phone, like looking for directions. And, and then this guy comes over to us and he obviously knows that we're lost and that we're tourists. And so he starts saying, you just follow me, follow me, and, and I'll show you where to go. And we were like, nah, I think you're okay, mate. I think we'll be fine. I don't want to follow you down some alleyway and get mugged. And he kept saying, follow me, follow me. And we were like, no, thank you, no, thank you. But you see, when somebody says to you, follow me, you have a decision to make, don't you? You have to decide whether or not they're trustworthy. You have to decide if you actually believe that they are going to lead you in the right, right direction. And we decided in Paris that, no, we did not trust that guy in the middle of the night to, to do the right thing and show us to our hotel. So we didn't follow him. And when Jesus calls his first disciples, he tells them to, to follow me. He doesn't come along and say, hey, believe in me, say this prayer, repent of your sins. He says, follow me. Just come and follow me. And Peter and Andrew, two brothers, they're fishing, and he says, come and follow me. 
And they do. They leave their nets behind. And then after that, we see him coming to James and John, also brothers. And then he invites them and says, come follow me. And they leave their fishing boat and they come and follow Jesus. And, and same with the other eight disciples. Jesus invites them to follow him. They have to, in that moment, decide, is this guy somebody that is worth following? Do I trust him or not? See, following is, is one of the core parts of discipleship. The other part, as we'll see later on, is learning, um, separate learning and following in discipleship. To, 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 to follow Jesus is to learn from him. Disciples are, are follower learners. But Jesus starts by inviting his would-be disciples to follow him. The same invitation he, he, he puts to all, every one of us. Come and follow me. And the thing about following somebody is that, that if you're following them, you kind of have to ignore all other directions, don't you? Um, so maybe you've experienced something like this, um, where you're going somewhere you've never been, but somebody else knows where you're going, and so you're following them. They're in the car in front. They say, follow me, and you're following them. But you also have, if you're like me, you know, you like to do things. You also have Google Maps up on your, your phone, and they're going a different way to Google Maps is going, and you have to decide, what way am I going to go here? That guy said, follow me. I've been here before. You can't follow more than one person, and so it is with Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we ignore all other directions, right? That we leave everything else behind to follow him. Following Jesus means leaving everything else behind. And Jesus teaches us this in Luke 10, 25 to 33. We'll throw it up on the screen if you don't mind, Ethan. I'm not going to read it because it's quite long and we've got a lot to get through, but it's going to be there and we're going to reference it. When we read this, Jesus gives us some pretty extreme teaching and we're going to do some of them. Some pretty extreme things to us. But I want to point out the first thing that's going on here. Because it says that great crowds were following him, right? Great crowds. But a crowd is not the same thing as a church. And a crowd is not the same thing as following Jesus, right? You can be into the latest trends. You can go to the, the coolest church. You can do whatever it is, whatever it may be. But that's not the same thing as following Jesus. And Jesus wants to make it clear that if we are to actually follow him, it's going to involve some pretty hard decisions. And he points out four significant costs of following him. The first thing is, he says that we will hate our family. Wow. <laughs> right in verse 16, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we actually in our heart hate our family. Like, we know that because that's the opposite that he actually teaches about love of others, the commands to love others. But what Jesus means is that, that we will make our family such a distant second place to follow on him that it will seem in comparison like we hate them. In other words, when we follow Jesus, our family is no longer our number one priority. Of course, we love our family dearly, and we care for them, and we sacrifice ourselves to them. But loving Jesus is top priority, and it's actually by following Jesus, Him number one priority, that we become better at loving our families. This is saying, don't let your family get in the way of following Jesus. And I'm sure that you, you've all heard of somebody who's, who's had to, to leave their family behind because they've decided to follow Jesus. Especially in, in places where, uh, places and cultures where um, following Jesus isn't acceptable. Maybe you've even experienced that for yourself. The deciding to follow Jesus actually puts a little bit of a rupture between, in your relationships between you and your family. 
Secondly, Jesus says, you've got to bear your cross. Now, this isn't literally dying on a cross. We don't all have to be crucified. Um, but it's dying to ourselves, right? It's, it's self-denial. It's prioritizing following Jesus over our, our own preferences. And listen, we all know what this feels like, don't we? All of this feels like. The decision to, to not have sex outside of marriage, the decision to give generously to the poor and the church instead of maybe prioritizing things like holidays or whatever, refusing to lie to cover yourself at work. We've all experienced that self-denial. And it looks like so many different things, but the point is each of us must carry our cross. We must deny ourselves if we are to, follow, if we are to be disciples and follow Jesus. The third thing Jesus said is that we have to count the cost, right? This just means that, that we will consider what it means to follow Jesus so that we don't give up when the going gets tough, right? You, you know who's, um, I feel like I talk about grand designs. Can we add that in bingo? Because I feel like I talk about grand designs a lot. But anyway, one of my favorite shows, you know in grand designs, those ones where like the couple clearly haven't, they really haven't budgeted that well. And then the, the place never gets finished, and Kevin comes back five years later, and they've got seven more kids, and they're all living in a two-bedroom caravan with an empty shell of a house, right? You know those ones? They're kind of my favorite ones um, in some ways, but it's because they haven't counted the cost. Jesus talks about going into battle. It's like the guy who he lays foundations, but he doesn't have enough money. And being a disciple of Jesus means that we will have to consider what it will cost us, right? It might cost you friendships and relationships. Some of us know how that feels, and it's not good. It might cost you your love, and it's not inconceivable to think that very soon that following Jesus here might cost us our freedom in society, like it does for so many of our brothers and sisters around the world in various places. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, the disciple means counting the cost. Am I worth it, Jesus says. Fourthly, Jesus says, you have to renounce all that you have. This is... This is what he says, verse 33. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, when Jesus says, come follow me, and we say yes, there's a cost. Uh, um, the disciples had to leave their fishing boats. They had to leave their business to come and follow him. And Jesus sums up what this costs for us in verse 33 when he says, renounce all that you have. In other words, being a disciple of Jesus means that we stop clinging on to the things that are in our lives. We stop clinging on to our relationships and our desires and, and our passions and our, our lives and our money and our possessions. We're willing to let go of those things in order to pursue Jesus. None of that will have a hold on us. When we decide to follow Jesus, nothing we have in our lives will stop us. Simply put, discipleship means leaving everything else to follow Jesus at all costs. This is the rudimentary foundation level definition of what it means to say yes when Jesus says, come follow me. And notice what Jesus says over and over again. He says, if you idolize your family, you cannot be my disciple. If you aren't willing to give up your own desires and, and yourself, you cannot be my disciple. If you cling on to all the things in your life, you cannot be my disciple. And, and he's not saying that. It's not because we're not allowed. We are allowed. It, it, it not, he's not stopping us from being his disciples, but it's simply that by holding on to things, it's impossible to be his disciple, Right? Think of like going to somewhere that has a dress code. Big sign outside that says no trainers. And you're like, I really like these trainers. These are my best trainers. 
I'm not, t- I'm not changing. Well, then guess what? You're not coming in. It's impossible to follow Jesus if we are holding on to these things. In the same way, we won't be able to be disciples of Jesus. We are not prioritizing him above all else. According to what Jesus says here, if he isn't the most important thing in our lives, we are not disciples. We were on our way up to the coast yesterday, and uh, our kids in the backseat of the car, I could hear them having a conversation. And they, for some reason, they were talking about what's the most important thing in life. And Abigail says, buddy. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, you're five. <laughs> like, who is teaching you? What are they teaching back there? Um, no, more, no more Disney Plus for you. Um, but the most important thing in our lives has to be Jesus. Because disciples, by definition, prioritize Jesus above all else. And so when we say that part of our vision for this year is discipleship, guys, it begins with this, right? It begins with that. It begins with deciding to follow Jesus by saying, that that's behind me, what's before me in Jesus is worth far more. It's a conscious decision that says he is worth it, that we can trust him when he says, follow me. It's a conscious decision to leave everything behind in pursuit of him. It's following Jesus on a continual journey through life toward glory. Like remember what we saw earlier? Like, it's real that we are citizens of heaven, that he is coming back. This is where discipleship begins. It begins with Jesus saying, come follow me. That's the invitation to all of us right now. And we need to ask ourselves, what are my priorities? Am I willing to hate all other relationships in pursuit of Jesus? Am I willing to die to my own desires to, to live by God's will for my life? Am I willing to surrender all possessions to follow Jesus into his kingdom? Because discipleship means leaving everything behind. That's the first part. The second thing I want to see is that the, uh, disciples learn from Jesus. So disciples leave everything behind. Disciples learn from Jesus. We saw that the first part of being a disciple is following Jesus. Well, the second part uh, of being a disciple is learning from Jesus. Disciples are follower learners. That's what the word means. This is what Matthew says, Jesus says in Matthew 11. If I can find it, bear with me. Should have had a bookmark. Jess, I feel your pain right now. Um, Matthew 11, right? He says this, um, verse 28. Come to me, all and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. So come to me if you're working hard and you're carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, maybe this is a passage that's a bit familiar to you. If you've been around church for a while, then maybe you've heard that passage, right? And and, and it's 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 familiar reason, and it's interesting to me that the first Part of Jesus calling us to follow him means letting go of everything else in our lives, but Jesus calls that rest, right? Isn't that weird? He's calling us to do all this stuff, like uh, put all the relationships to him, to leave behind our possessions and our, fam- and our money and all that kind of stuff, but he says, I will give you rest. And when we read this passage, the focus is often rightly on that part that is us coming to him, heavy burdens, and him giving us rest. But something I think is overlooked a lot in these verses are these three words in verse 29, which say, learn from me. Learn from me. 
And this word learn in the original language has the same root word as disciple, right? It's the same kind of idea. To be a disciple requires learning. Because you can't live what you don't know, right? Being a disciple of Jesus is learning him. Learn from him. Learning of him. And Jesus uses this imagery of a yoke. If you're not familiar what that is, a yoke is a, like a wooden structure for carrying a heavy load, right? The farmer would put it on animals so they could carry them or, or pull the plow. And the implication is that we are to allow Jesus to put his yoke on us the way a farmer would put a yoke on his livestock. It means giving Jesus control of and letting him direct our lives. So the image is of the, the farmer is, is plowing a field and, and, and he needs really straight furrows to, to sow his seed. But the oxen who are pulling the plow, they decide to go their own way and maybe they see something over there, smell, and they start to veer off. And so the farmer, what he does is he uses the yoke to control them and bring them back onto the straight path. This is what Jesus does when we take his yoke on us and learn from him. This is why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because being yoked to something is learning from it. It's being directed by it. It's being in. And the disciples, disciples of Jesus say, what we do is we say, I'm leaving everything behind. I'm no longer going to be influenced by all that stuff, the world, whatever it may be. I'm going to be influenced by Jesus because I'm yoked to him. I've taken on his yoke. He is now my teacher. I am now learning from him. And you might think, well, why does Jesus say that's rest? Under a yoke doesn't seem restful. Why is it that Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, the truth is that we're all disciples of something, right? Or someone. We all ready are yoked to something. We're all being shaped and influenced by something. Whether you realize it, it's true. We actually have people in our society now called influencers, Right? It's not even hidden anymore. I'm an influencer. People that inform our decisions and shape our thoughts about everything. From relationships, to politics, to food, to money, to mental health, whatever it may be, all kinds of things. And just so you know, that's all based on money. It's, it, it's not that hard to figure that out. And so it's not a question of, of having the yoke of Jesus or no yoke at all. It's not like, oh, I'm totally free and now suddenly I'm under the yoke of Jesus. No, the point is that if, if you're either yoked to Jesus or you're yoked to the world. That... And if we keep on being yoked to the world, is the word yoked starting to sound funny to anybody? If we keep on being yoked to the world, tied to the world, being directed by the world, we actually find that that's a heavy burden, isn't it? And what, what, what are all the influencers telling you? What are all the politicians telling you? What is your neighbor's society telling you? You've got to work hard. You've got to be educated. You've got to be, you, you've got to be on trend. You, you've got to have a certain body type. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to think a certain way. You've got to have this opinion about that or that opinion about this. Actually, being, being outside of the yoke of Jesus is hard, isn't it? And Jesus says, that's why my yoke is easy. That's why learning from me, becoming a disciple, is easy. It's actually the way to freedom and life, a way to leave all that nonsense behind. And it's not a question of being free from all influence. Even if the yoke of, of, of the world is removed from us and replaced by nothing, we would veer off course. 
We can't keep a straight path on our own. We need that yoke of Jesus. We need to be learning from him. We can put it like this. We are all learners of something, but disciples of Jesus decide to only learn from him. We're all learners of something, but disciples of Jesus decide to only learn from him. And the work he has for us, because unlike being yoked to the influence of the world, Jesus is gentle, and lowly in heart, so we can learn from him and find rest for our souls. It's actually a restful way of life. And this means that being immersed in his word so that we can follow his example. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called. Okay? So if you're a Christian, listen to this. You have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Well, how can we follow in his steps if we don't know what his steps are? How can we follow his example if we don't know what his example is? And this means disciples of Jesus will be students of the Bible. Because it's in his word that we see Jesus revealed to us. Disciples will, will study the word and treasure it and meditate on it and memorize it. I, I, I would go so far as to say that it's impossible to be a disciple of Jesus if we are not students of the Bible. It's impossible. It's his word. And we need to be considering his word. And if we've decided to leave everything behind to follow him, the first thing that should characterize our lives is that we are constantly learning from his word, right? Because like, it's not like you're learning from his word or learning from nothing. Like we've saw, it's either you're learning from his word and being influenced by him or you're being shaped by all the other voices you take in. The first thing you do in the morning, I guarantee it, most of you in this room, first thing you do in the morning is reach for your phone. Oh, I wonder what's up on Instagram. Boom, being influenced. Philippians 4, 8, verse 9. I'm throwing a lot of scripture out there this morning, but it's good. We'll just kind of drink from the fire hose. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Uh, Paul says to the church in Philippi, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you, right? When Paul says, think about these things, that word means consider, means to ponder, means to study them. This is how we learn from Jesus. So as we step out into the discipleship this year, becoming disciples of Jesus, moving on in our journey as disciples of Jesus, we need to not only decide to leave everything else behind, but we need to ask ourselves these questions. Who or what am I learning from? What kind of voices am I being influenced by? People come up, not up to me, but people talk to me all the time. They say, I can't believe, like that's so hard. And I'm saying, yeah, but what voice are you being influenced by? Because it sounds like you haven't considered what Jesus says here. You know, we are disciples, but what are or who, what or who are we disciples of? We're all being formed and taught, but who or what is forming and teaching us? And being a disciple of Jesus is, is about learning from him. 
learning to depend on him and obey him. It's, it's like being the apprentice who, who spends time with his master, kind of watching him and then learning to do what his master is doing. If you think of Leonardo da Vinci, you probably think of the Mona Lisa, right? The Vitruvian man, you know that one? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You think of those, you think of the, the master artist. But da Vinci was an apprentice. Years and years and years, he, he, he spent as an apprentice of a master painter. He followed his master. And by the way, actually, interesting, this is why I end up preaching for so long, because I go off and Anyway, his master was a of Donatello. Isn't that cool? Anyway, Donatello, uh, Boracini, and then uh, Da Vinci. Pretty cool. His master learned from a master, and he learned from a master. For years and years, and he observed what he did and then began to copy his, teaks, his techniques. And this is what follower learners do. We, we look at Jesus and we observe him. And where do we see him? In the Bible. We're looking at him. We're looking at how he lives. We're observing what he says. And then, spending time with him and watching him and follow him, we begin to do us. We learn from Jesus. We will begin to live like him. And that leads me on to the final point of of our introduction to discipleship this morning. We've seen that discipleship is about leaving everything behind to follow him. And that leads to learning from Jesus. And then finally, disciples live the gospel. We live out the gospel. Learning leads to living. Putting into what we have learned and what we are learning from, from Jesus. Da Vinci learned from his master and then he put into practice what he had been learning. And so it is with disciples of Jesus. Have a look at Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. This is often called the Great Commission. These are the last words that Jesus spoke on earth to his disciples. And he charged them with this. I'm going to read just the last two verses, 19 and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Now notice, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he doesn't say, hey, I want you to go and, and teach them to know all this stuff. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And, and this isn't observe the way that we think of, of watching or, or looking at. That's part of it. But it's not spectating. This word observe means to keep, to obey. The way someone might, I'm observing Lent this year by fasting, whatever it may be. Our English Bibles translate this word literally and so it becomes observe. But a better translation, I think, is, is the word keep. To keep all that I've commanded you. Jesus is saying that this learn and then live out what they have learned. This means there's a life change. It's about the way we live and, and think and speak and do things. Because disciples of Jesus live like Jesus. We see him. We copy his techniques, and then we put it into practice. And as we learn from him, we will become like him. Did you know that the term Christian is actually related to living out God's truth? Did you know that? We see this in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, just after Paul, who was called Saul at the time, uh, he, he, was, he meets Jesus, right, on the road to Damascus. And, and then um, he, for a while, uh, but in, in, in Acts 11, we catch up with, with, with Barnabas and Tarsus, or Barnabas who went to Tarsus. 
This is uh, Acts 11, 25 and 26. Barnabas, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Why? Because there was a church in Antioch. There was a, a family of believers. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first. Why were they called Christians? They didn't sit together as a church and be like, oh, I think we should call ourselves Christians. No, it was the people looking at them, seeing them, saw that they were like Jesus, saw that they were like Christ, and called them Christians. You know what Christian means? Little Christ. They saw them, they were living out what they believed, and people were like, wow, they're like Jesus, they're little Christ, they're little Christ, they are Christians. Being a Christian isn't only about what you believe in your heart, it's about what you believe in your heart, but and therefore how you live. And it's really from this point on the New Testament that the word disciple kind of falls out of use and is replaced by the word Christian or, or saint. And that means that, that Christians are those who are, are saved by God, but are also those who are living out their faith in Jesus, right? And this is why we often use the words disciple and Christian interchangeably. We're disciples of Jesus. We are Christians because it assumes that being a disciple of Jesus means that we will live like Jesus. We will be little Christs. Being a disciple of Jesus is being a Christian. And being a Christian is not only about our standing with God, but also what we are to be in our actions with others, right? A saint is not just being holy, it's doing holy. And so again, as we set out this new, into this new year with a new vision of discipleship, resolving to leave everything behind the fold, just dedicating ourselves to learn from our master, we need to ask ourselves, are we living it? Are we living what we believe? As we have learned from Jesus, are we living like Jesus? As we are in the gospel, are we living the gospel? And, and here's, a, here's a really practical tip for this. Um, Remember the, uh, you might remember, maybe most of you are too young, remember the WWJD craze, like, like late 90s, early 2000s, something like that? I got a, I got a what would Jesus do, right? Bracelets, uh, bookmarks, pens, whatever. Mostly it was those rubber bracelets. I definitely had one, of course I did. In fact, I had one that was like a woven one, like a friendship bracelet. Classic. Um, and it didn't make me more like Jesus, quite frankly. But I have a better one than WWJD. I have HDILTG. Very catchy. H-D-I-L-G-T. You don't need to remember that. But what you do need to remember is this. In every situation and in every opportunity, disciples ask, how do I live the gospel? How do I live the gospel? This means that if we are in conflict with someone, we live the gospel by moving towards them in repent forgiveness, just as Jesus has moved towards us in forgiveness. In our marriages... When our spouse is being cold or distant, we don't turn our backs. We live the gospel by, uh, and fulfill our covenant vows by, by loving them and pursuing them just as Jesus has, has pursued us in covenant love. When we see someone in need, we don't hoard our money and possessions. We live the gospel by being generous just as Jesus was sacrificially generous towards us. In every situation and every opportunity, disciples put the gospel into action. We ask, how do I live the gospel? Because disciples live the gospel. And I want to finish with this. A key part to doing this, to living the gospel, is making disciples, right? A key part to this. 
In Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus commands his disciples to teach new disciples to keep everything he has commanded them, which includes the instruction to teach them to keep everything he has commanded them. What does that mean? It means that you can't be a disciple without making disciples. You can't be. Jesus says, make disciples. And then those disciples have the same command of Jesus passed down through, the, through, through disciples saying, make disciples. The only reason you're a Christian today is we can, we can trace our family roots all the way back to the first Christians, to the 12 disciples. We can trace our family line all the way back because people were faithful in being disciples by making disciples. None of us are exempt from the call to make disciples. Everybody who is in Jesus is called by Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. In other words, disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. And, and, and trying to be a disciple of Jesus and not make disciples is like trying to be a fish without swimming. Fish by necessity of what they are in their nature to swim. Disciples of Jesus, by necessity of what they are, have to make disciples. Jesus doesn't say, like, go and make non-Christian friends. He doesn't even say, go and make people converted. Our calling to make disciples, lifelong, wholehearted followers of Jesus, who leave everything behind to follow him, who are dedicated to learning from him, and who are living out the gospel. This is more than just asking somebody to make a profession of faith. It's more than just getting somebody to say a sinner's prayer or inviting them to church. It means all of that, yes, but it means so much more. It means that if we are following Jesus, we will continually and constantly be pointing others to Jesus. This is the life we are called to. It's what Jesus wants us to call others into. We don't just lead someone to Jesus and then leave them to it. No, we disciple them. We show them Jesus with our lives. What it means to follow Jesus. And this isn't, this isn't just for the pastors or the deacons or the missional community leaders or whatever. It's, it's for all disciples. When we see discipleship in the New Testament, it's not some kind of watered down meat for a coffee once a month and read a chapter of a book. Not there's anything wrong with that. But discipleship is so much more, right? In the New Testament, discipleship meant being close with people and spending time with them. Think of all the time that the disciples spent with Jesus. Things that we don't get aren't recorded in the Gospels because the Gospel writers would rather focus our attention on Jesus rather than what they did on their day off with Jesus. Think of all the time that Barnabas and Timothy spent with Paul. And it requires this intentionality, right? It, re it requires being in community, but, but being intentional about being in community. Just being in community with one another doesn't mean that discipleship will automatically happen. Even though community is vital for discipleship, we need to have that time and proximity with one another. Discipleship doesn't just happen automatically because we spend time together. It's about being intentional, about being intentional, about pointing each other to Jesus and saying, will you point me to Jesus? Discipleship happens when we are in community and intentionally learn from each other and teach each other. And maybe you don't think yourself as a teacher. But if you are a Christian, then you are a teacher in this sense, right? 
If you're a Christian, you're called to teach others to follow Jesus, no matter what stage you are at in your maturity or your need. It's calling others to follow Jesus for the first time, kids to follow Jesus. It's encouraging your brothers and sisters to follow Jesus and learn from him and live out the gospel. God has given us, the church, each other so that we can disciple one another and be discipled by one another. We need the Holy Spirit in each of us to minister to each of us. Does that make sense? And so as we set out this year with this vision of discipleship, and listen, even though uh, this is just a kind of very brief overview and, and like a, hopefully a stepping stone, a launch pad. But as we step out with this vision of discipleship, right, resolve to leave everything behind, committed to learning from him and living out the gospel, we need to ask ourselves these two questions. Who am I teaching and who am I learning from? Who am I teaching and who am I learning from? Are there people in our lives who look to us to see how to follow Jesus? We all have them. And likewise, who am I intentionally looking to to learn how to follow Jesus? We all need them. See that? We all need, we all have people who are looking to us to see how to follow Jesus. And we all need people that we look to to learn to follow Jesus. There's no single strategy. We have lots of tools and lots of good tools and stuff that we're going to introduce in our church. But John Piper said it this way. He says, there is no limit to the ways a person can be told the good news of Jesus. So, discipling in that sense is as varied as there are ways of saying the gospel or living the gospel in front of people to draw them in. The Testament gives us some examples of how to show others how to follow Jesus. Here's just a few. Titus 2 verse 4 says that older women should train younger women. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 says Paul trained Timothy to train others to train others. Ephesians verse 4 says that fathers are to train their children. Hebrews 6.13 says that all Christians are to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and stir each other up to love and good works. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says that all Christians are to use their gifts to serve others. Acts 8, 24 to 26, Priscilla and Aquila got Apollos over for dinner and explained the way of the gospel to him. And on and on and on it goes. There's no limit. There is no end of the strategies here. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. And every Christian should be helping other Christians to grow in more and more maturity. And every Christian should be seeking to get help for themselves from others to keep on growing. Fellowship is. In church, we're going to be intentional about exploring this. We want to be equipped to be disciples and disciple makers because this is the life we are called to. And, and listen, the rewards are immense. Because the goal is Jesus, right? The goal isn't to become a good person (laughs) or to become a better Christian. The goal is Jesus himself. And we need to bear that in mind. One day, we will wake up in the presence of Jesus and we will know with every fiber of our being that it was all worth it, right? That we will be in his presence and we will see him face to face, right there. And there won't be one shadow of a hint of a doubt whether or not it was worth it or not. That decision when, we, when he says, come follow me, and we said yes, there won't be one hint of the doubt that is in our mind right now. All the sacrifices, all the efforts, all the doubt, all the worry, all the immaturity will be, complete, will be completely gone. 
and what will be replaced, it will be replaced with complete joy, perfect peace, and the deep, deep knowledge and experience of the love, and knowing that we don't ha have any guilt or shame anymore. All the things that we worry about will all be gone. And listen, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe you, you haven't said yes to following Jesus yet. We'll do it, <laughs> because that's what's ahead of us if you do. That, that, that peace and perfect love and, and deep knowledge and experience of him and forgiveness and, and all that kind of stuff, that is what he offers when we say yes, when he says, follow me. Here's what I'm going to finish with. Hey, hey listen, I'll do, I'm going to do something. Can you stand up with me, please? I want to finish with not my words, but with, with uh, God's word. I'm just going to invite them to come up. Um, let's just take a second to hear these words from Philippians 3. This is Paul talking about his own pursuit of Jesus. He's this. It's not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Man, I know that's me. I'm far from perfect. And he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's what it is. We press to make him my own because he has made us his own. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you help us to leave everything behind right now? To, 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 to commit, to resolve, to just prioritize and pursue in Jesus because we know that he has made us his own. Would we strive? Um, Holy Spirit, would you help us to learn from Jesus? You know, it, it, what's the alternative to not learn from him? Lord Jesus, only you have the words of eternal life. And Lord, would you help us to live out the gospel in front of one another, pointing each other to Jesus, to make disciples. Lord, we don't really care if we have the best discipleship strategies or training or course. We do mostly care about, Lord, is that we strive after you. May that be the thing that, that we hold highest and pursue above all else. Help us, Lord. And as we come to the table now to, to share in this meal that you've given to us, we see the great cost that you paid to make us your own. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to come and take uh, communion.